welcome to the Haunted Hacker podcast number, I don't know, Mike, what number do you want to give it? Oh, shit. Um, well, what was the last one on 199? Something like that. We've had them in the 300s, 200s, whatever whatever number you want. It doesn't, doesn't matter. 69. Okay. Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> um, any ra- we'll just- any random number. Um, two, 200. All right. Yeah. Nice. Haunted Hacker podcast number 200. Um, just a little bit of, uh, housekeeping before we get started. Um, I am speaking this month for a group in the UK, um, also in South Africa for a CISO group. And pretty soon, I believe in March, risk 360 is having, me and Chris Roberts, Luke McComey, and Mike Weber um, on a podcast extravaganza is what they're calling it, I guess. Um, other than that, not a whole lot to, to report. Um, everything's going good. The group in general, the Haunted Hacker group is growing. And uh, I'm starting a business and a nonprofit um, not related to the Haunted Hacker except for the charity. Uh, but the charity is going to be um, Hackers for Vets, and we're going to raise money to get scholarships for um, different certifications to help transitioning vets get their foot in the door. And the uh, consulting company I'm starting is going to be something completely different, something new, and uh, I think you'll probably like it. Um, other than that, I don't have anything else. Uh, so today we have Mike Cornell. This is his second time on the podcast. Um, known friend, good friend of the Haunted Hacker, and a really interesting guy. So, Mike, what, what have you been up to since the last time that, that we spoke? Um, yeah, so the last uh, last time that we did this was um, April of last year. Mm. Um, it's been pretty busy. Uh, so my, uh, my company, uh, Defiant Networks, logo and and here just you know complete the ensemble um we have been uh working on a massive undertaking um where our initial uh our initial goal was to create this awesome industrial networking service that allowed you to uh micro segment uh very easily have cryptographic identities for all the devices on your network allow you to to segment to do kind of unidirectional stuff as well if you needed to you know bridge uh networks going from like layer three up or something um but we actually realized that the ingredients we had allowed us to do a lot more and so we have uh built a lot more networking protocols to facilitate an overlay network for the entire internet um that can run services on it kind of like kind of like the tour network would you can access things on it mm-hmm. um and it is 100 percent completely zero trust in the means that uh your uh your laptop or, or you know desktop pc whatever um all the way it, it, to every single node that facilitates that communication circuit to the thing that you're getting to on this overlay network has to confirm their identities with each other. And this happens periodically. And every service that uh, runs on each node will only run for nodes that have identified themselves. 
Um, so uh, we've been working on that for, well, I mean, since uh, uh, about April. Yeah. Um, and uh, we've got, um, we have alpha, we're in alpha right now. Uh, so we've got something working with um, uh, Windows, which is a, a nice client. Um, and then we are working on the same thing for Android. Um, can't say exactly when those will be out, but uh, uh, hopefully uh, things have been going really good uh, development wise. And we've also been working on, you know, some of the business stuff too. So um, uh, hopefully we will be in, in beta with the public uh, soon enough. And yeah, I can't, I can't really say a timeline. Sometimes these things move, but um, yeah, I've been really busy with that. Um, uh, ended up having a, a, a newborn in October. Congratulations. So that, th thank you. Um, yeah, his name is uh, Julian after Dr. Julian Bashir, nice. Star Trek Team Space Nine. Yeah, he's the smartest guy on the show. So I figured it's a great name cool. for another son of mine. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, really just those two things, but it's been uh, a, a whopping undertaking between the two. And, um, you know, um, all good though, like all, all good stuff happening. Cool. And then you lay on top of, uh, you know, on, on top of having a, a newborn and all the work you're doing, taking a look at the uh, issues that cybersecurity is having right now. We talked briefly before the show about some of the, the stuff that, that we've seen and experienced. Um, and we, we both have a laundry list of, of things that are pretty shocking and, and things that don't necessarily give 2022 uh, a bright start, I guess. Um, so, you know, I, I know log4j was, was a big thing uh, earlier um, this year, well, beginning of the year and, and going into January. And it seems like, you know, at first I thought maybe this is one of those vulnerabilities like heartbeat, right? That was complex, but everybody was vulnerable, vulnerable to it. Um, that people weren't necessarily going to be able to just click a button and gain access. Um, but with this one, it, it appeared that way, but we're starting to see a lot more exploitation on a lot more unpredicted types of devices and networks, I think. Um, you know, tell, tell me about your, your experience so far with, with Log4j and some of the stuff that you've seen. So, I, so um, dealing with Log4j from, from my perspective, um, has been more so looking at looking at it from um, kind of a, a critical infrastructure uh, lens, right? Mm -hmm. <clears throat> so some stuff I do is uh, working on civil engineering and critical infrastructure projects mm -hmm. and creating security architecture that that will eventually become a framework to carry out um, you know the the most conducive. Uh, deployment for a safe and secure uh, industrial network deployment or, uh, you know, solution deployment, uh, wh whatever, whatever the, the contract may be. Um, and initially, I had just kind of looked at log4j as another one of those, you know, oh, this is just like a software thing. Yeah, this is gonna, you know, screw up your whatever desktop stuff, right. Um, but really, 
it's extremely pervasive because of how ubiquitous um, Java is in, in a lot of things that are used, especially on the control side. Um, I'll give uh, a quick example. Um, the uh, Siemens CERT had uh, on this, oh, on uh, the 17th of this month, actually, so like five days ago, uh, mm -hmm. they published uh, a document with their findings of all of their products that were uh, vulnerable. And it, it is a long list. I wanna say there's like, a, I've got it pulled up here. Um, just scrolling through really quickly here. It looks like, I wanna say probably 40, 45 or so, um, mm -hmm. uh, 45 or 50 pro uh, products. Um, and uh, it's not an exact number, just you know, scrolling through, uh, that's what it looks like to me, about 40 or 50 or so. Um, and that scares me uh, a lot because um, working, um, working in the industrial controls uh, arena, I, I know that a lot of the update cycles of like a manufacturing plant or um, a major transportation system, uh, that stuff takes a long time. Like they, it becomes a project. It becomes a project that has to be bid on. There's all this time to get someone that can do the work and vet those people and have all the interviews with them. And then from there, um, all the testing that has to go on, the redundancies that have to be built to keep the mission critical systems of, and functions running so that you can um, do these updates without really making that big of a dent in the operational output of whatever that entity is or that target is. Right. And uh, I think it's going to be, I think it's going to be around for a long time in the industrial space. Yeah. Um, a, a second thing that also has been kind of keeping me up at night is uh, connected vehicles. Mm. Uh, it's been recently, it's been recently uh, uh, documented. I think it was, um, it was Trend Micro. Yeah, Trend Micro put out a, an article, uh, one of their research articles, talking about um, electric vehicle supply equipment, which is basically uh, um, like their charging stations. So mm -hmm. vehicle, uh, electric vehicle uh, charging stations can be, uh, there's other ways to compromise it, but Log4j is now a, a, a gaping attack vector in a lot of these. That might be able to get updated uh, more easily, but the fact of the matter is um, we don't know exactly what effect it'll have on vehicles because <clears throat> newer vehicles, uh, like their their um, uh, the ECU network, the 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 CAN bus network, um, most manufacturers and OEMs have done a good job with kind of segmenting the network and hardening it. Mm -hmm. but some older vehicles, not as much. Right. So it can be anything from like tricking the vehicle in, into thinking it's charged when it's really not. So you run out of charge down the road. I, I don't know, right? All the way to potentially having a detrimental effect on a different ECU that can control, um, I don't know, um, you know, like drive-by wire functionality or maybe... Right. Um, some other kind of functionality of the uh, of the connected vehicle. It's kind of scary because, again, manufacturers don't all do the stuff the same. Um, mm -hmm. The the onboard networks. So, 
uh, yeah, I think it'll be fixed much quicker, but you know, the damage might already be done and I don't even know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So that's the scary part is not the, not knowing I think is the hardest part. And yeah. we both know, uh, people like Alyssa Knight who used to focus strictly on that type of stuff, right? The connected cars and the automated systems. Um, and it's, it's, you know, it's funny, but, but kind of, uh, I, I guess in a, in a really weird twisted way, comforting that the predictions that I made for 2022 are not very far off already. You talk about, you know, plants and, and log 4 J and some of that stuff. My predictions for 2022 was infrastructure, um, mm -hmm. was going to be targeted. And so far, you know, I've been on two incident responses, one for a law enforcement group and the other one for a transit company. So, I mean, already countries are using, and I say countries, and we'll, we'll dive into that later, but countries are using Log4j in very interesting ways to gain the foothold that they need in these infrastructure groups, which is scary. Yeah. Um, yeah, with, uh, you know, especially some of these that might be, uh, uh, or that are nation state backed, mm -hmm. right? So they have the uh, limitless uh, <laughs> uh, funding or, or, or resources, you know, to carry these attacks out. Um, yeah, it, it just opens up a, a, a new vector for, um, you know, international cyber war. I, I feel like that term is kind of cliche because it's yeah. used so much and, and means so many different things, but it's, it's one more way for someone to fuck over someone else. Yeah, totally. <laughs> I think, Which is par for the course. <laughs> yeah. And I think this year, I mean, we're, I talked about, you know, geopolitical issues globally causing more uh, internet technology issues and outages. And already we've seen Russia attack the Ukraine with ransomware the Ukrainian government. And we're starting to see a lot more geopolitical tension globally, not just with Russia, but also with China and Taiwan um, and places like that in Cuba with the Havana syndrome. Uh, and then you throw on top of that a really bad vulnerability like Log4j. Um, we've seen vulnerabilities from that flared up during the pandemic when everybody started working from home, like VPNs. And you and I talked briefly on about VPN and, and the issues that we have there. Why don't we dive into that a little bit on the VPN side of it? Right. So I, I'm not as um, I'm not as aware of uh, any vpn providers or software specifically that is vulnerable to the to the log 4j specifically but um i think uh, there have been uh some uh attacks i guess in the more contemporary um uh, timeline that have uh their access point was be able to leverage uh uh, VPN that was either in, improperly configured or they were able to somehow, um, you know, get the certificates necessary to access something they shouldn't be. But um, the, the one, the things that have been sticking to, out to me with the VPN is, um, uh, well, the, the newest, uh, one of the newest things in the VPN news, uh, VPN Labs, which was uh, just shut down by Europol. 
Mm-hmm. Um, they had seized all their their domains and servers, basically shut them down because apparently uh, they were working they were working with criminals to. I'm working with criminals, but you know that they, they weren't taking action. Like they were being asked to take action, be like, hey, be mindful of your shit. You know, uh, um, some bad things are coming out of it. And these kind of raises like these raise a lot of questions to me about just the state of you know current and future secure networking technology because uh um the the way it is here in the u.s is that uh if the the glow boys come up to you and say hey we need your stuff and they subpoena it's like okay whatever they're they're doing you know stuff within the law to ask you and you provide whatever documentation that's there right um so you have to work with them or else you get shut down and then worse there's some sort of legal action uh, taken against you. Um, it, it, raise, it just raises a lot of questions of like the state of it. It's like VPNs are this, they're this uh, solution. Uh, you just have like regular consumer VPNs to like, you know, watch British Netflix and British Bake Off and all that shit. Uh, then you have industrial VPNs, uh, which are a little bit different. It's not the, not the same, it's not the same, uh, it's not the same uh, uh, kind of like, uh, category, however, the idea is still the same. That secure, that secure networking technology, VPNs. I think they're they're great for a sense of security, um, right. but the the fact is, you're really just moving trust from your ISP to a whole new entity, mm-hmm. and that entity can see what you're doing. And 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 you know, any no logging policy is just that; it's a policy. Um, you can just, you know, turn on, uh, Zeke or bro onto a, whatever interface or consuming the consumer traffic, consuming the consumer traffic. That makes sense, but that sounded weird. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah. And you can just like, you know, run some kind of, uh, you know, um, uh, uh, deep, you know, do your own kind of like internal DPI and what's coming in and right. you wouldn't be none the wiser. And um, I don't know, it, it, it's, there's a lot of like kind of moral and ethical things that come into mind where it's like, not only that, but then everyone can be using uh, your VPN to do something bad. Right. Then I start thinking, well, shit, why aren't ISPs getting dinged, you know, exactly. if that's really the case, because, um, you know, the Internet is, is a great thing and it's a horrifying thing at the same time. And um yeah, it's like, like, you know, why doesn't uh, whatever local ISP <laughs> uh, get dinged because you, you know, I don't know, went on tour to do something or whatever. Um, it's kind of a light example. I don't know. It, it's raised a lot of questions to me. And um, seeing this happen, seeing uh, Europol shut down the, um, the, this VPN labs company, it's kind of a bit of a scary thing. Um, to think of as someone who runs a secure networking infrastructure yeah. technology. I mean, it's kind of oh. shocking. <laughs> it's kind of shocking too. Like, so I was living in Dallas and there was a data center that uh, I had some friends that had devices and stuff in there. And without any kind of notice, without any kind of uh, documentation, the FBI walked into that data center in Dallas and literally took every server that was there and didn't tell, didn't, let them know why there was multiple companies that were based in that, that data farm or where that, that, uh, that data center, but 
come to find out, I guess there was a huge uh, organized crime ring that was being ran through that data center and nobody knew about it. But guess what? Every server got grabbed and it was because it was attached to the same network and they wanted everything. They, they didn't want just specific devices. They wanted the whole thing. So this data center literally went under because of it, um, which, you know, I can understand to a certain extent, but then walking in and shutting down somebody's business and their livelihood just because, you know, there's a criminal or potentially criminals on that, that connection. I mean, I think you're right, you know, with, with ISPs, how many times should the ISP have been shut down or servers warranted when, when I was younger? Probably most of them, because we were using ISPs to carry out bad shit for a long time um, before we even had the Tor network. Um, but now, I mean, the, we all know that most of the Tor network, the exit nodes, there's a good number of them that, that are ran by federal agencies that, you know, they don't have to take anything because you're going through their exit node and they can see it anyways. Um, but I, I think you're right. That, that sets a really yeah. scary, scary precedence where, you know, law enforcement or anybody can just walk in and basically destroy an ISP or a provider based on something that could potentially be going on. Yeah. And I, I think too, that in, in that situation that you decided when they walked into the data center and yoinked all the servers there, um, there, I, I don't, and again, like this could have, this could happen a lot of places. I'm just not aware of it. And, you know, I'm totally open to, to that. If that's the case, but um, I feel like um, when, when, when it comes to any kind of like federal prosecution that I know of, it mm -hmm. seems that they need a high success rate. Like right. whenever the, you know, the, the federal courts or whatever are, um, they have what, like a 90% success rate. And if they think it's going to be below that, they just like, you know, kind of shoot it off to like a local, you know, right. court or something. Um, in that case, um, they probably believe they had the vindication that to do that, but at the same time, and that they might have, right? Like they might have been correct in doing that, maybe. But um, at the same time, think of all the information that they got from all the other services and business processes that they can now, you know, look at or first engineer of all these other companies that have yeah. nothing to do with right. the services that were used for the the crime ring that you, that you uh, said there. Mm -hmm. um, and that's that's the thing I don't like that collateral, not just a collateral damage, but the the kind of uh, collateral effect in general. It's like, now I have all your stuff, even though you're no part of this, yeah. which means they likely, you know, they, they didn't, you know, they probably didn't subpoena these things or they, they probably hit the data center itself, not just the company, which right. sucks because everything's in that data center. Yep. It is fair game. Everything in that data center is fair game. So um, yeah, that's shit. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, you really have to think twice about who your data center provider is. You know, and this was a, a very young startup type data center, very small, yeah. um, handful of, of companies resided in it. So, I mean, someone didn't do their due diligence. Like the first thing I would have done was go to try to check out the data center and the people that run it and own it. Um, you know, look at the Russian business network. That, that was an entire network of nothing but criminal, you know, activity. And I think we probably have some of those data centers still around that, that conduct that type of business. Um, but for some reason or another, the feds or, or like you say, Europol or, or whoever 
are just not interested in that group yet, which, you know, I, I don't, I don't know if you saw the video from the arrest of uh, Revil, but to me, like that, that was so strange and it looked so scripted. Um, and even if, even if it wasn't, I think it was just a way uh, uh, for Russia to say, you know, Hey, we're, we're kind of bending to what you want. And by the way, we have all these troops sitting, sitting on the border of Ukraine. You know, how about just a little bit of, you know, we did some shit for you. Now you do some shit for us type of expectations. And I think a lot of that goes on yeah. in law enforcement and government, to be honest. Yeah. Um, uh, I, I would tend to agree with that, um, especially with uh, uh, international governments, too. Right. Like I think of uh, Five Eyes. It's like um, Australia, Britain, Australia, U.S., Canada, New Zealand, and one other I forget. Yeah. Um, it's five eyes. I can only remember four eyes. <laughs> Get it, glasses. Right. Hey. <laughs> nice. I can't. That's why I work in Python and C because I can't see sharp. <laughs> nice. I like that. That's yeah. When when I, when I used to teach, that would be a joke that I killed for my students. Because I'd say it a lot, yeah. Anyways, um, yeah, so um, I, I think that kind of justification of cyber, you know, shutting down cyber criminals, maybe there was another company of interest yeah. um, that was in that data center too, or, you know, um, I don't know. But anyways, um, yeah, I mean, doing due diligence and some form of risk assessment on the data center that using, I think it's important. Um, I think on, on the flip side, there could have been the rationale of, hey, this is a young data center. They might not have a lot of this, this security um, maturity in there yet, so I can get away with some stuff. Right. But then if you, uh, if you were to uh, go to a larger data center that's running, you know, things uh, from, you know, like big Fortune 500 companies that aren't running their own infrastructure, or just outsourcing some of that processing to different data centers or whatever, um, that might also be kind of like a, a fly under the radar kind of move as well. You just right. be careful with what you're sending out of that data center kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, I mean, there's different rationales. I mean, I, I could see either one working. It's just that tells me from from like my my old days in PSYOP, um, mm -hmm. we would have a process for uh, like we would collect propaganda, then we'd have a process to analyze it. Um, and there's been two processes. There's been Marco and SCAME. Marco is uh, just an acronym that means um, uh, media, uh, was it media, audience, uh, response, content, observed effects, something like that. I, I normally use SCAME, which is a source content, uh, audience, media, and then uh, the effects of that, right? Mm -hmm. so, so the idea being whenever you get a piece of propaganda, you analyze it to try and get into the head of the people that are putting it out there. Right. And so to me that these cyber criminals that you were talking about likely did not have a lot of, you know, a whole lot of technical juju going on there. And mm -hmm. we're like, well, it's just going to be easier if we, you know, do this uh, immature data center versus having to really, you know, dot our Qs and cross our Ps with a big data center, right? So yeah, um, kind of that, you know, psychological reverse engineering for to, to, a, to an extent. Um, but, yeah, I, know uh, they, I know they used to use, uh, like now a lot of 
the attackers will use uh, AWS and, and stuff like that to host malicious code. Um, back in those days, I think a lot of it was try to find the cheapest data center, try to find the cheapest ISP that won't rat you out. Um, but even some of like yeah. the Log4j that I'm seeing now, there was one that I was doing some uh, investigation on this week. And one of the IP addresses that the machines were calling out to um, was hosted on AWS and it was malicious code. And I know from experience that AWS doesn't necessarily do a whole lot of checking when it comes to what's being hosted on their platforms. Um, you know, I may or may not know somebody who had some malicious code up and running reverse shells for months without Amazon even picking it up. Um, but I, I would hope that as time goes by, things get a little bit more, uh, I guess, comprehensive when it comes to looking at code and looking at things that are hosted, not just on AWS or ISPs, but also like Google Play Store and, and you know, the Apple Apple Play Store. Yeah. And um, so the, doing a, a little devil's advocate here, um, the more comprehensive with the monitoring or, you know, uh, the kind of stuff that like AWS would be doing. I think right now, like, I don't really know like what their privacy policy is um, yeah. in something I should probably read at some point, but um, I've worked with AWS before, not so much now, so it's not a prevalent thought in my head to do so, but um, it could just be that really they're just monitoring the network IO. Right. And that's what indicates something. I would be, I would be livid if I was hosting something on AWS that's running, um, you know, uh, proprietary code that I write for business uh, reasons or code that is written by us for business reasons and running AWS or something. I'd be pissed if I knew they were looking inside that. Right. Now, I do know that AWS does have uh, like control mechanisms. Uh, I forgot the hell it's called, but it's a thing that allows you to um, there's a agent in the instances that you spin up and, uh, there's that kind of, uh, hook into the instances that the UI has. So mm. you can stop, start, restart, reprovision drives, yada, yada, um, that kind of stuff. Right. Mm. Um, uh, even that is scary to an extent because you don't know what else they're doing. Right. Right. I mean, granted, um, you can just turn that thing off but then it disconnects it from the ui and um you know you're stuck sshing into it and then not really having a path of recourse if you accidentally brick the fucking machine or something yeah anyways yeah I, uh okay so yeah i i i still think a little bit scary if they were to be looking in the machine but i think more, uh, maybe some additional measures into, you know, the network monitoring to see what's going on. I think they have that down to begin with though. Yeah. Um, I'd, I'd imagine so for a, a freaking huge, uh, you know, hosting provider of that, of that magnitude. But, um, yeah, I mean, there, there's many ways too of just making, um, traffic just like neg uh, ne negligible you know right. in innocuous interactions aren't really going to bring up red flags and and so you get to this weird area of you know like what's in the meta and what is you know uh 
normal baseline for that node or not, you know, it's the stuff like that. I, I don't really know the efforts they can, the efforts and, and they can go through and the money they can spend to really dedicate to that though. I, I'm not sure. Um, yeah. I was really amazed to see that a malicious APK could sit on an AWS server and people access it for months on end without anybody stepping in, which is shocking. Right. Um, I, I know from other experiences, you know, you do that on an ISP and they're more than likely to shut you down. But with AWS, I was really shocked. I was like, wow, they're, they're really going to let this individual host this APK on that server for months and get reverse shells, but nobody's going to stop them. Um, it's really weird. So 2022 brings a lot of, of you know, guesses on what's going to happen. There's a lot of potentially you know, earth-changing decisions being made just right now. Um, what do you think 2022 brings to the table for cybersecurity? Um, I think, uh, I think, uh, critical infrastructure agencies. So like your, your power, um, uh, water transportation, um, I've seen uh, just a big scramble uh, to, you know, fix as much stuff and plug all the the holes in the in the the sinking boats as they can. I say sinking boats just as a metaphor because that's why you would plug the holes. Not that they're sinking, but um, yet <laughs> uh, I think there's going to be uh, at least in the in the industry in the market. Um, there's going to be a lot of uh, people capitalizing on this this kind of you know scramble to plug everything up um you might get a lot of people that are maybe not so good trying to get work doing that and it might be a mediocre job that they do um but i think generally speaking uh you'll see a scramble to fix everything um you'll have uh these pervasive uh rces attacks uh, i kind of feel like every few years we get one you know like whether it's um eternal blue or log 4j um just these like only time can tell when these when these uh these rce things can come up and people might use them as a backdoor for stuff um i think um i think uh now that the infrastructure um the infrastructure investments and jobs act has gotten uh that bill got passed. And so now it's like law or whatever the term is. Uh, yeah, I think it's law or whatever, but um, there's gonna be a lot of effort towards that. And that bill has a few good things in it, a lot of crap in it. And they have some really scary stuff in it regarding um, automotive monitoring, which scares the crap out of me. Right. Um, so I, I think you're gonna see a lot of, uh, yeah, I, I can talk a little bit more about the automotive stuff because that's, something I, I've given a lot of thought about. Um, so, okay, I'm kind of getting into a tan uh, tangent here. So, okay, so to boil it down, um, you'll see a scramble of, of uh, uh, infrastructure agencies trying to plug as many holes as they can, putting out uh, RFPs for, you know, um, cybersecurity or having more cybersecurity in their, in their um, you know, RFPs and whatnot. And then um, that's the optimism in me coming out. I, I think, if you have good people in the seat of, you know, security officer, you'll probably end up having that. 
Um, I think there's going to be a lot more concentration too on trying uh, a lot of, um, you know, vendors and manufacturers will have to meet certain things put out in this infrastructure bill, right? Um, so I think 2022 is really just going to be a lot of work. Um, and I think um, there is, I think Log4j will probably be something leveraged for the majority or for the long run of 2022, um, just because of its pervasiveness and how some uh, some entities can't just you know Thanos snap it away, right? right. It's, it's going to be it's going to be in there for a while. Um, and uh, um, yeah, I, I would say that's really it uh, for now. Um, we'll dive off into the uh, the automotive the automated car and the connected car situation. I know that's one of your, your hot topics. Yes. Yes, it is. Um, so, um, I, okay. I see your time. <laughs> All right. Um, Cool. Yeah, I was just gonna say if we can do that really quick, that'd be awesome. Just gotta take a quick pit stop. No. So right. Autom um, no, so automated ca automated cars. Let's let's dive there. Yeah. So before I get into my, um, you know, old man with a tin foil hat on yelling at the clouds and stuff here, um, I think. Uh, um, have you seen, um, I think I know the answer, but have you seen, uh, um, watch that series, uh, Black Mirror? Yes, absolutely. So, okay, perfect. Do, do you remember the episode, um, Hated in the Nation? Um, it had to do with the bees, the robot yeah. bees. Yeah. Right. So, okay. So, um, I, I, I talked about this at, at a conference at a B sides conference, uh, like three years ago. And I, uh, did a recent cybersecurity lunch learn where I also talked about it. Uh, it's like a, uh, I think it was called when IOT becomes nightmare and mm -hmm. just, uh, you know, talking about that is, uh, to try and draw a mirror with how we're going with IOT, um, IOT and the, just the, the hyper connectivity of everything from, you know, IOT and, and ITOT convergence, um, which, um, uh, I talked to, to, uh, Rob Lee, I think, um, a, a year ago or so. And, um, uh, he just called it hyper connectivity, which I, which I agree with, you know, it's, it's a good general encompassing term. Um, um, but anyways, um, yeah, so, uh, for those that don't know <clears throat> in this particular episode of black mirror, uh, I think it was like the longest episode they had at that point, uh, in, as far as, uh, the show in general is concerned, maybe another season after it had a longer episode, but that was like the longest episode of the point, uh, at that point. And so the story there, it's in, you know, the, the near future, right. Um, where automated cars are about to be a thing that, you know, so probably maybe like, I don't know, 10, 20 years, whatever, let's just say to, to be safe within 20 years. And the entire, the entire UK, um, their population of bees um, 
just went virtually extinct. It was like colony collapse disorder. They had no idea why it happened. Mm -hmm. So there was, this, um, there was a private tech firm that was funded by government subsidy to create autonomous robot bees um, that would go around and, and fulfill the same function. And, um, you know, not sting people, which is cool. Um, <laughs> I think for that reason alone, I might be amenable to that solution. Um, so I've been stung a lot by, well, really more so wasp. I've been stung by a bee once. Anyways, not, not important. Um, <laughs> but uh, uh, in this, in this episode, um, the, the private company that had the government subsidies to build the, the ADIs, the autonomous drone insects, mm -hmm. um, the government had um, required that they implement a back door for their federal glow boys to be able to do mass surveillance yep. um, on people and stuff. It, it, you know, it, these bees had like a tiny visual sensor, but they had a lot of, uh, there was a lot of data gathered, just shit ton of metadata. I mean, it, I feel like that kind of comes par with the course. It was a very, these bees are pervasive. They encompass the entire UK. Uh, like, why not just do mass surveillance, you know? Exactly. Um, and so in that episode, there was some social media game where you put a hashtag and the person that you want dead. And, and if enough people, you know, hashtag yep. called out someone, they, you know, they would just die publicly, yep. very either very publicly or it would be made public soon after. Anyways, um, the, the idea here being, um, I get scared when I see solutions proposed that are extremely pervasive Mm -hmm. And they affect things that we cannot just snap our fingers and do without, like motor vehicles and connected vehicles. Right. Um, I don't know. For the past 30 something years, or 30, you know, the amount of time I've been alive, so somewhere over 30 years here, um, uh, cars have been getting, uh, you know, increasingly becoming increasingly autonomous, right? Like mm -hmm. the framework for making the self driving car has just been growing and growing. It was drive by, uh, drive by wire is now, you know, uh, it's now, you know, electronic handled by ECUs, your accelerator, uh, uh, it accelerates, decelerates, brakes based on electrical input and the pressure that you put on the pedals, right? Um, then you have that with steering, then you have that with uh, everything else that used to be more of a physical mechanical thing. It's now a lot more electronical controlling the mechanical. Yep. So over time, you're uh, I, like new cars now have like a metric fuck ton of ECUs or uh, engine control units that the, you know, the, the computers that that are running these, uh, you know, small operating systems to do a, a, a very specific thing for a very specific area of the vehicle. Um, mm -hmm. And um, so whenever I see uh, acts like this, um, uh, I'm, I'm citing specifically the uh, infrastructure investments and uh, uh, jobs bill that was passed. There is um, a lot of pages in here. I've only read a few of them. Um, section 24220, Advanced Impaired Driving Technology. And what in here, Section A, they just say findings. A lot of people die in drunk driving. Um, which is true and it causes a lot of damage, loss of life. It, on its face, this idea seems like a good one, right? Um, but in the definitions, 
um, section B, uh, subsection B of section 24220, uh, their definitions in the section is, uh, it, I'm going to read it verbatim here. So advanced drunk and impaired driving prevention technology. The term advanced drunk and impaired driving prevention technology means a system that can passively monitor the performance, uh, performance of a driver of a motor vehicle to accurately identify whether that driver may be impaired and prevent or limit motor vehicle operation if an impairment is detected. Um, and then additionally, passively and accurately detect whether the blood alcohol concentration of a driver of motor vehicles equal to or greater than the blood alcohol concentration described in section 130, uh, 163A of Title 23, US code, blah, 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 um, and prevent or limit motor vehicle operation if a blood alcohol uh, concentration above the legal limit is detected um, so, or so a combination. So how, how are they going to do this? Because that sounds very fucking invasive. Yes. And so I, I don't think it's going to be so much as, um, uh, you know, like, like now, right? If, if, if I have, you know, like eight more of these and I go, I, you know, go, uh, um, I don't know, go treat I-95 is like a racetrack. Um, you know, I get into a lot of trouble for that. Right. Um, right. and, uh, under the circumstances, uh, I may or may not have to have a breathalyzer in the car to, to, um, you know, prove to the, to the, to the man <laughs> that I'm going to drive. Right? right. And, um, uh, but I don't think it's going to be anything like that. Um, I think it is going to be more of monitoring. Um, so, okay. So like, I think some uh, some cars. Uh, I want to say Tesla. You can correct me if I'm wrong, but I think Teslas have a uh, a visual sensor that can be like, "Oh, you look tired or sleepy or something," right? Mm-hmm. And um, uh, it could just be like, "No, I'm looking at that accident that I just tried to avoid." Right. Right. Um, and they're very nuanced things. Um, to me, it sounds drive- like. To me, it sounds like more of a not minority report but more of a the machines are going to actually be involved in monitoring maintaining and even conducting everyday routines for us like the embedded embedded machine that determines if you can or can't drive like Mm -hmm. i don't think that should be a machine decision i think that should be a human decision not a machine yeah Uh oh i just turned my xbox on (laughs) um it wants me to play it. It's calling to me now. Um, but um, uh, yeah, so I mean, yeah, the, the way I see it, right, is that it's going it, it, to, there's going to have to eventually be some kind of baseline gathering, right? Like right. E- even right now you have like these uh, car insurance companies that have dongles you can put in your OBD2 port right. and it just powers a damn thing so it can track your GPS and speed and all that kind of stuff and make sure that you're a safe driver and a good boy. Mm-hmm. to get, you know, d- uh, you know, decreases on your insurance premiums, all that shit. Um, which by the way, some of those have actually been very, um, exploitable, uh, right. different story, but I think the progressive one was really bad uh, at one point. Um, cause I've done, uh, tests on different OBD2 dongles and a lot of those have a lot of work to be done, but, um, yeah, gathering a baseline of your, normal driving habits. And when you start going outside of that, then it starts, you know, kind of throwing up red flags and it's like, well, what if I'm just on a bad road, 
you know, right. like what if I'm driving on a bad road or, or what if there's uh, um, you know, hopefully you would assume they would correlate that with data from GPS, like Google or Waze or whatever. Right. Um, the same way that they correlate all the GPS locations to tell when traffic is slow and stuff like that. Um, however, uh, um, yeah, I don't see this as it, the, the language is also extremely vague as well. So this can mean almost anything. You and can stuff, the fact you can stuff a lot of stuff into it. If it's vague, the government can also push other you know, agendas into that bill. One of the things, so, so yeah, that, that kind of uh, machine driven decision of whether or not you're like in, uh, impaired or like too tired or something, it's not always going to be the case. I, I don't really see any room for nuance here. And at the same time, they also have this uh, provision in here, prevent or limit motor vehicle operation if an impairment is detected. And that also kind of scares me because, uh, um, you know, like what if uh, you've got a visual sensor in the car, you know, I'm drinking, I'm drinking one of these. And then I think I'm drinking one of these and it's like, stop the car. <laughs> and I'm doing like eight, you know, I don't know, whatever, 70 miles an hour on the interstate. Yeah. And I just stop and I get slammed. Like that's not going to work out too well. And another thing too, is that um, the, the OEMs are likely to not have, at least in my experience of looking at how OEMs do stuff, Mm -hmm. um not have a a a central um standard or way of doing this right so different manufacturers are going to do different things mm -hmm. uh, i think even like right now there's like a oem that with their newest model of vehicle you have to actually pay to do an auto start with your key fob like really? what the fuck is that yeah uh lewis rossman um if you go on youtube lewis rossman had talked about this um uh, he's a huge right to repair guy mm -hmm. um, and, and often right to repair is fought against by big tech companies. It's like, but what about security? You know, <laughs> but um, um, yeah, it's like if you buy something, you should own it to not have it on you. Right. 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 Um, I, I, I do. So I see I see this as a potential, you know, black mirror hated in the nation B kind of situation. Yeah. Um, where you have these, these, uh, some people have called it a kill switch. Mm -hmm. Maybe it's just like a limp mode where it just detects where the nearest shoulder is and stops you there. I don't know, but I, I think the very fact that you're introducing that into connected vehicles where, you know, um, everyone and their families are going to be riding it. I think you're going to have a lot of people hurt because of ineffective ways these things are done. Or even, um, I, or even I, malfunctioning. Think about the malfunctioning portion of it. You know, we all know computers can go haywire. Cars can go haywire. Imagine that type of functionality in a vehicle with a family. And let's say somebody yawns and it doesn't get the calibration right. And it shuts down the car because somebody's yawning. But it's not a gradual, let's find a shoulder. Let's stop it right here. You know, I, I can totally see where that's going. <laughs> It's like stop, we stop the car. We got to yawn. We got to yawn. Yeah. But <laughs> it's, even it's so, like at the wrong. But it's even like so, at the wrong person. Oh yeah, but but even so, like take take that same example. Let's say it's legit, right? You have this type of control mechanism in the car um, for maybe impaired drivers, right? But mm -hmm. here's the point: is if something remote can access that module and tell that machine stop here because this is happening. 
what keeps that car from letting me do it? And I'm not the actual controller. You know, we saw that with the entertainment systems and the, and the, uh, the onboard entertainment for some vehicles like Jeep. And they were able to drive the Jeep off the road, just connecting to his onboard devices. The 2014 Jeep hack. Yeah. Um, the, the company that I used to work for, uh, Block Harbor Cybersecurity, uh, that was like their point of conception of that company was that incident. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, um, yeah, that, that was a scary thing. Like, like I said before, some older vehicles didn't properly segment um, areas of the CAN bus network. Yep. So you can get in, you can get in through a dongle. It could be an uh, could be insurance dongle. It could be a, a, a some kind of um, diagnostic tool. Uh, it could be just uh, you know um, an insecure application in the IVI, um, the in-vehicle infotainment center. Um, and and yeah, that was a, that was a scary thing. And luckily, you know, I want to say luckily, like fortunately. Um, manufacturers have fixed a lot of this in their newer vehicles, um, but it's still not perfect because um, vehicle, it sounds like um, it sounds like yes, re-implement sounds like they're re-implementing it as well, right? So they already had that type of system, but with this new this new legislature, they're going to put more in. Yeah, and I, I feel like um, the same the same way that the in the in the Black Mirror episode, um, the the government had alternative interests. They were like, mm. "Yeah, po- pollinate the plants and shit," <laughs> but also watch the people. Yep. Um, I think a lot of it'll be passive, but just think about how you know dissidents will be treated. Think about the the, the journalists right now that, that get that get raided because of some innocuous thing or some kind of you know political. Um, Descent is something that just gets some kind of uh, uh, like ham-fisted response by the glow boys, you know. Yep. Um, it's like we know this person drives this vehicle, and uh, I mean vehicle tracking. Even it's not even like super advanced right now. I mean, besides, if you have access to GPS and all that, sure. But um, if there was uh, something I something I was looking at, um, are you you're familiar with the Weigel.net, the Weigel project, the war driving app? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so um, a lot of uh, connected vehicles have their own uh, IP addresses and stuff, mm-hmm. like their own network names. Sorry, their own network names. Um, I could be driving on the interstate or just throughout through, through town here, and I can be running the war driving app, and um, I can see the network name for a vehicle that's right next to me. Mm-hmm. I can just log it, and then you know, if enough people are running Weigel in the same area. Uh, we're driving around me, you know, notion, you know, just for example, um, I can figure out where you live, where you work, where you shop, everything, you know, and that's like, that's community driven. Now think about the stuff you want to put in here. Um, The, the, for me, the, the data inputs are probably going to be a visual sensor. It's going to be your GPS. Uh, It's going to be gathering the data on, um, you know, how many turns you take can also be indicative of what you're doing, where you're going, right? Like all these things, um, maybe even sensors in the seat that go, normally he sits like this, but now he's sitting like this, <laughs> you know, uh, right. like that, why would that stuff not be, you know, uh, 
appetizing to right. powers that be. And, oh, exactly. and, and in the Black Mirror case, if you have back doors to stop or affect a vehicle, mm. you know, Black Mirror, that was a uh, uh, hey in the nation. That was an insider attack by someone who used to work at the company. Yep. Yeah, I mean, um, he found a way to persist in that network and he stayed there for a long time yep. hurting people. I, I freaked um, out when yeah. they first got OnStar. Um, that, that to me was shocking. Because you know you look in your rearview mirror and you can see the remnant or just a, a slight circle behind the mirrored glass, which was a camera, and there was microphones all over the vehicle. And come to find out, they weren't activating the OnStar network or or the emergency features just when there was an emergency. I mean, there were straight up people who were getting arrested and, and you know getting in trouble for working for OnStar and accessing these cameras just randomly. So if they have the capability of doing that, who else has that capability with more nefarious mindset than just looking into a vehicle? You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, um, the way I see it, any of these pervasive safety or security measures that are just going to be everywhere, uh, the, like Amazon Ring sidewalk program, where if you have an Amazon Ring and a camera, you can link to other cameras. Okay, well now you have network devices that can see other like the SSIDs and see my see my Wi-Fi, see all the other shit that, that I'm running, right? Because um, yep. I'm using some things are wireless, some things are you know uh, Ethernet connected, um, you know. But um, that day, it's it's all you know, it's all it's all metadata that can be. Uh, tracked and harvested but then a layer the more insidious layer is when you have measures like this that give organizations uh, i don't say organizations but give someone the power to stop a vehicle on the road um yeah. when you don't know what that situation and like what if i'm doing a bunch of off-roading or you look like <laughs> uh, do do i have to go to the dmv and say hey deactivate my bullshit tracking for like five hours or something i i don't know reminds me of bank reminds me of banking and uh you know if you make a transaction that, that you don't normally make and they shut your shit down i can't count how many times that, that that's happened when i was doing something legitimate and they're like i i would call wells fargo back when i was with wells fargo and say wait a minute dude I, i'm just in the line for jack in the box i mean what, why the fuck did you shut down my card well sir you don't normally make you don't normally make that purchase at this time and i'm like Bro, so I have to tell you which restaurant I'm going to eat at? Like, that's bullshit. But same we, thing with we, we, saw, <laughs> we, we saw you yawning. It's like, <laughs> yeah, I was in the way to get fucking coffee. <laughs> right. It's like, I'm in the Starbucks line right now. I'm getting a grande frappadappa thing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Venti words. But, but it's, all, <laughs> it's all about the, the prediction of human behavior. And the government and, and other agencies want to be able to predict what you're going to do. And I think a lot of this, you know, technology for security or we want to keep you safe in this area started really increasing after 9-11. Like a, a lot of things were taken, taken from us because of security. Well, we need to monitor these transactions. We need to do this for you to ensure that, you know, you're not going to be affected in a negative way. But slowly that became we want to be able to have that access just because we want to know what the fuck you're doing. Yeah. Um, the, the Patriot act, um, oh. quite patriotic, you know, <laughs> tell on your neighbor. 
Yeah, it, it's like uh, they, they named these these acts like really nice sounding names, like the Patriot Act. Uh, I think a couple of years back, um, Bill Barr, who I, I forgot his exact position, but under the last uh, administration, um, he had he had either proposed or was a huge proponent of this thing called the Chairs Act, mm-hmm. which was basically a way to um, force backdoors into encryption. Yep. Um, and I was like, well, Australia did that. And I don't think we should do that. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah um, I know a couple of people out in Australia and I, I know you do too. And better that tell me some of this stuff. Cause you know, be like, Oh, where's defined networks? What does it do? Oh, consumers wouldn't be able to use it. <laughs> yeah. And uh, it's like, Oh shit. Okay. Um, <laughs> another thing to think about. Um yeah, I, I, I said this on the, on the last podcast. My opinion hasn't really changed that much on it, but I think the government's capable of doing a great net good. They also do other stuff that is not good. Yeah. I mean, just <laughs> um, look, at, look at Snowden, for example, in the ex-key score. So he gets ran out of the country and, and is out on the run and exiled. And they come to find out in the appeals court, they found out the ex-key score was actually unconstitutional and illegal, but they still will not let him come back to the country without being arrested, even though what they did, the program he snitched on, was determined to be unconstitutional. Yeah, uh, well, I mean, there's... I, I don't... I, I can't purport to, like, know the reason why, but I, I, I think just, you know, speculation here. Um, you piss off a lot of people in the deep state. <laughs> they're not going to want you to, they're not going to want you to, you know, play on their court. Yeah. Um, and if you do, then like, I mean, he said multiple times, you know, if he gets a fair trial and all that stuff, he'd be willing to come back. Yeah. Though I was really, I was extremely, extremely pissed off when he did not get pardoned, um, yeah. a couple, uh, uh, last year. Right. Or yeah. Early last year. I was also very pissed when um, uh, Julian Assange didn't get well. Tech, tech, well, yeah, um, I know he's not an American citizen, right? But uh, Julian Assange and also uh, to an extent Russ Ulbricht, mm-hmm. um, him too. I, I, it, it's a bit more of a cloudy, murky thing, right? Mm-hmm. But you know, it, it's still there's a lot of uh, questionable things that you know. Um, I, that situation just sucked and uh not that i think he was always doing the right thing there but still i mean uh, at this point what purpose does it serve to keep him uh yeah. i yeah. i don't i don't i don't get it yeah it's all about control i believe well man we're at the end of the hour and as usual i appreciate you coming on yeah we you, we always have some really interesting conversations and no telling where those conversations will will end us up at um, you're welcome anytime, by the way. And uh, any questions or, or any any last thoughts for, for the show? Um, yeah. Um, for, for, for those of you that are involved with uh, any kind of infrastructure projects or any kind of projects that have, uh, uh, or efforts that have wide reaching impact, um, 
always just give everything you look at a second thought. Every solution you deploy, every policy that you're adhering to, question as much as you can because um, the long-term implications of what we do now are gonna be things that affect our future generations. So if we start doing things under the guise of safety and security, which are two good words, by the way, but that end up having, we don't want to be part and parcel. I, I don't want to be part and parcel of contributing to dystopian infrastructure and robbing, robbing the freedoms of today because my kids and their kids will not have those freedoms tomorrow. So just be be mindful uh, wherever you're at, wherever you're working, whatever you're doing. Just question things, um, and uh, yeah, freedom first. <laughs> awesome, awesome. So, well, I appreciate yeah. it, Mike, and uh, you know I wish you good luck this year and, and with all your endeavors. I'm sure we'll be hearing from you again sometime in the near future. Yeah, hey, it was great being on. Um, look, definitely looking forward to the next one. I appreciate you having me on. And uh, yeah, the, these conversations are, are always interesting because um, especially with our infrastructure experience, I mean, we can talk all day about this shit, right? Um, oh, for sure. Yeah, I mean, uh, to me, this is the most worthwhile endeavor in the world is trying to, um, you know, make make the future generations as safe and secure in the freedom sense as possible. Right. Absolutely. So um, that just kind of go ties into what I said earlier, but yeah. Um, no, I appreciate it. It was good. It was, cool. it was uh, real and it was fun and it was real fun. So awesome. Yeah. Thanks. Awesome. Thanks for having me on, man. All right. Well, until next time, guys, that'll be it for the haunted hacker podcast. Look out for some more videos to drop soon. And uh, don't forget to subscribe on the YouTube channel. We're trying to make a thousand subscribers right now. We're at 900. So a hundred more and the podcast can start uh, benefiting from YouTube. Uh, anyways, everybody stay safe and I'll see you next time. Thanks, Mike. All right. Thank you, man.